Welcome to Still Pretty, a Buffy the Vampire Slayer podcast from Chipperish Media. I'm film scholar and the Berber weed that makes Spike's blood all hot and spicy, Noella Croy. And I'm researcher and wonderful former vengeance demon, Dr. Kelly Jones. And we're here today to talk about All the Way, the sixth episode of season six. All the Way aired on October 30th, 2001 and was written by Stephen S. DeKnight and directed by David Solomon. And you still pretty listeners all know that this is a fully spoiled Buffy the Vampire Slayer podcast, so we may talk about anything and everything from the series as well as from Angel. And you might have also noticed that I am, in fact, not Lonnie Diane Rich, but I am pitch hitting for her today. So it's going to be fun. It's Halloween, you knit. We take the night off. Those are the rules. All right, y'all, let's go on patrol. In All the Way, it's once more with Halloween in Sunnydale. Business is booming at the Magic Box, and Anya couldn't be happier. All the Scoobies are helping out, and when Buffy goes down to the basement for Mandrake Root, she bumps into Spike, who's got a proposition for her. You like a bit of the rough and tumble? Buffy assumes he means what everyone playing along in the Spike and Buffy home game assumes he means, co-ed, naked, non-fat yogurt consumption. But no, apparently it's sex-Slovanian vampire slang for patrolling together. Sounds fake, but okay. Rattled, Buffy turns him down, and Spike plays it cool. It's not like I don't already have the plans. Great pumpkins on the 20. Meanwhile, somewhere in Buffy's neighborhood, an old man walks home carrying a grocery bag that we can't definitively say is full of groceries because there's no baguette sticking out of it. Red flag number one. He hums Pop Goes the Weasel as he moves through a house filled with olden timey looking toys to a kitchen where a large pot is simmering on the stove. All of this, according to the ominous score, is red flag number two. The old man smiles as he looks through Venetian blinds at the costumed children walking along outside and then he says he'll give them something special this year while pulling a giant kitchen knife out of a drawer and, oh no, red flags three through 11. Back at the magic box, it's closing time. The Scoobies are exhausted and Anya is ecstatic. As Xander watches her celebrate, the dance of capitalist superiority, he decides it's finally time to announce their engagement. I, I thought you were waiting for the right moment. I did. The gang throws an impromptu engagement party at Buffy's house. The first of many premarital celebrations, Anya reminds them. When Tara mentions decorating for the next one, Willow uses a spell to fill the room with streamers and paper lanterns. Anya is appreciative, but Giles and Tara exchange a worried look. Later in the kitchen, Tara gently confronts Willow about her gratuitous use of magic, but Willow deflects. You're always coming down on me for, for doing magic that couldn't harm a fly. Dawn reminds Buffy that she's spending the night at her friend Janice's house and heads out for what is actually a night of high school hijinks with Janice and two older boys named Zach and Justin. After the boys do some minor Halloween property damage, Dawn and company end up in front of ominous old dude's house. The old man, whose name is Kaltenbach, is something of a well-known weirdo, and Janice refuses to prank his house. Dawn volunteers, but as she's about to smash the jack-o'-lantern on the porch, Kaltenbach grabs her wrist. Zach and Justin rush to Dawn's rescue, and... Come on inside, kids. Got something special for you. Daddy's got a treat. Kaltenbach, a former toy designer, makes some pleasant remarks and a few odd ones, all with that ominous score playing again. Then Justin follows him into the kitchen to help with the treats, which turns out to be a pan of Rice Krispie treats. 
But the kids never find this out because, surprise, Justin is a vampire. He kills the old man and steals his wallet, and as the group flees the premises, Zack wonders whether he and Justin should eat the girls. Lunchables? Or should we go all the way and turn them? At the Summers residence, Giles has been chatting with Xander about the logistics of non-Hell Dimension bliss. Anya is leaning towards as soon as damn possible for the wedding and cheerfully planning for cars and a house and babies, but Xander is increasingly uncomfortable. Buffy pulls him outside for a breather. Sweet mother oxygen. And reassures him that things are good. Love and celebration and moving forward. Anya's right. This is the way life's supposed to work out. Post Colton Buck prank slash murder, Don and Justin flirt. He gives her cash from Colton Buck's wallet, which she accepts, and Don confesses to stealing all the time, which Justin finds cute. Zack steals a car by biting the driver, and the teenagers head for the woods. Buffy, who has decided to patrol after all, follows the sound of sirens just in time to see Zack's victim, complete with telltale bite marks, being loaded into an ambulance. Janice's mother calls the Summer's house, and everyone spots the girl's trick immediately. Tipping into the classics. You gotta respect that. Giles snaps into full watch-your-dad mode and heads out to find Buffy, sending Tara and Willow to search for Dawn downtown and leaving Xander and Anya in charge of the house. Meanwhile, Janice tags Zack with a kiss and runs off into the woods. Zack vamps out, more than happy to play along. I love it when they run. Leaving Justin and Dawn alone in the car. Justin makes his move, and Dawn gets her first kiss. At the bronze, Tara and Willow continue their fight after Willow proposes that she look for Dawn by magically shifting everyone who isn't a 15-year-old girl into an alternate dimension. Tara confronts her. Willow, you are using too much magic. Willow deflects again, and Tara walks out. Back in the stolen car, Dawn and Justin are still making out. They keep going even after he bites her lip and hurts her a little, but then Dawn's wandering hand settles on his hard, lumpy, face. <laughs> Meanwhile, Buffy busts into Spike's crypt to tell him there's trouble, only to have him inform her that there's even more trouble than she knew about. Don and a little friend pulled a Houdini. But not to worry. He's already done a sweep of the tunnels, and Giles is on the case, too. Oh! <laughs> Giles hears a girl scream and runs to her, thinking it's Dawn. Instead, he finds Vamp Zack sinking his teeth into Janice's neck. Giles and Zack fight. Giles impales Zack on a tree limb, dusting him, and then runs off to look for Dawn. Dawn jumps out of the car to get away from Vamp Justin, but he intercepts her. He says she's not like the other girls, and he just wants to be close to her, and then he leans in to bite her, saying it'll only hurt for a second. I bet you say that to all the girls. Giles approaches Justin, all extra-strength dad with a hint of ripper, but suddenly they're surrounded by vampires. Then Spike and Buffy show up, and Buffy goes off on Dawn for parking with a boy she just met. Oh, like you've never fallen for a vampire? That was different. Violence ensues with Giles, Buffy, and Spike, who's got big, I'm not even supposed to be here today energy, dusting vamps left and right. As things come to a close, Justin tackles Dawn to the ground. She says she thought he really liked her. He says he does, and that she likes him too. She agrees, and as he leans over to bite her, Dawn dusts him with a crossbow bolt held against her chest. Later back at home, Buffy sneakily tasks Giles with the disciplining of Dawn. Don't be too hard on her, okay? and Willow casts a spell to make Tara forget their fight. So, uh, you're not mad? About what? Woo! <laughs> There's a lot. <laughs> it's a lot. 
It's a lot. So, <laughs> Kelly Jones filling yeah. in for Lonnie Diane Rich. And thank you so much oh, for yeah, filling it's fun. in. This is fun. Uh, what do you think of All the Way? So it's really funny. I, I did not remember this episode with any fondness. Um, but having watched it several times for the podcast, I, I appreciate it uh, a lot more than I thought I was going to. There's a lot more going on than I remembered. And it sets up my two favorite episodes from season six, Once More with Feeling and Tabula Rasa. So I appreciate it for that. Um, yeah. What about you? Did you like it? I did. I really like it. Um, more more than I would expect to like it, uh, <laughs> if that makes any sense at all. Um, as I was watching it a couple times over, it sort of grew on me in this interesting way, um, partly because of the like, what the fuckness about it. <laughs> and then partly because as you and I were preparing to do this podcast, the the what the fuckness turned into these discussions that then turned into further notes and reflections. And I think we should probably just jump into it because we got a okay. lot to talk about. Sounds good. Yeah, yeah. Lead the way. So there's a tricky villain question mark in this episode. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I watched it through the first time, I was fully along for the ride. I did not remember this old dude. I was I I I took the bait essentially. Um because old man Kaltenbach has a lot of the markers of the stranger danger narrative that many of us were raised on and which rears its ugly head on Halloween pretty much every year. Um he's this, you know, here's this old guy. Mm-hmm. He lives alone. He's got a house full of toys. He's interested in children. And he's apparently luring kids into his home for some nefarious purpose with promises of treats. He's also checking a lot of the suspense horror boxes for a kind of damaged masculinity that's supposed to make us read him as dangerous. Right. So he refers to himself in the third person as daddy. He has a limp. Again, house full of toys and old ones at that. His speech is a little off. Like he literally starts out sing-songy. And then when he's talking to Don and the kids, he repeats words, you know, hands are good. Always use more hands, more hands. As he's muttering and walking off to the kitchen. Yeah. And he addresses someone in the room as Sally. And the editing leads us to believe that he means Dawn. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think most of what makes Mr. Kaltenbach creepy is the way he's introduced. First, with that ominous score under literally everything he does. Mm-hmm. And second, because after 105 episodes of this show, we're primed to be at least a little suspicious of anyone new, especially when we don't get a name for them right away. Yeah. Plus, you know, it's Halloween in Sunnydale. So new person, almost certainly creepy person. Yeah. I mean, he is framed as incredibly creepy. And I was a little bummed out about the bait and switch because I'm like, okay, creepy old daddy red herring. Like he gets a lot of screen time for like a story that essentially ends with him dying badly in his kitchen. But 
I want to know what the hell happened with those toys that he was making. Like, <laughs> there's a story there and we don't get it. And <laughs> Well, there is a story there and it's totally folded into this creepy this creepy projection of him, right? Mm-hmm. And I think and I think Thomas Wanker's score is the biggest contributor to this creep factor. Because there's that bit in his toy designing monologue when he says vaguely, and then that thing happened. And the score gets all ooh scary again. And yeah. we're supposed to go, oh shit, what thing? <laughs> like we're supposed to freak out there. Right. But right. people tell stories like that all the time. Like, I was supposed to do this thing earlier in the day, but then I called Kelly and we recorded a podcast. Like, you don't hear about the thing because what I'm actually telling you about is that Kelly and I recorded a podcast. Yeah. But when the music does that, you know, you're like, clearly, clearly you want us to think that something like super bad happened yeah i mean he is definitely presented as dangerous and like and i did have a a a kitchen question yeah um and anyone who knows us knows that you are far more skilled in the culinary (laughs) arts than i am so (laughs) you know it turns out he's making like rice krispie treats right Mm -hmm. and they're super cute they have little pumpkins on them like that's it it was kind of nice but the knife that the dude is using to cut the Rice Krispie Treats. It's a big old knife. So, like, would you use a knife that size? Or have I been cutting Rice Krispie Treats wrong my whole life? <laughs> well, apparently he only has one knife. And it's a very special <laughs> knife because when you pull it out of the drawer, it goes shing, which none of my, knights, <laughs> none of my knives have ever done. Um, but I think, I think the first time we see that knife, he's actually planning to cut the jack-o'-lantern that Dawn smashes later because there's no jack-o'-lantern on the porch when he comes home and then when we see the the jack-o'-lantern it's not your you know usual like three triangles and a toothy mouth it's got some yeah i don't know like there's there's some craftsmanship there like he's clearly he's clearly kind of an artist but of mm-hmm. course, you know, you get the shing knife noise <laughs> and then he pulls it out. I think he pulls it out again for the, the Rice Krispie Treats. And I don't know, maybe he just has that one knife in the drawer. I don't know. <laughs> but no, I probably I probably would not cut Rice Krispie, Rice Krispie Treats, which is also something I can't say. I would probably not cut Rice Krispie Treats with a big kitchen knife no <laughs> okay that makes me feel better about myself <laughs> but the, the, so he's he is presented like he's presented as as dangerous mm-hmm. but i feel like without the suspense horror music under every single one of his actions he seems more like a lonely sad guy than a conniving bad guy to me that's how he reads and even if he's odd and maybe a little bit off in terms of the expectations of the neighborhood he's living in he's probably not dangerous i mean he's certainly not vampire dangerous yeah which brings me to the person whose safety we're most concerned about 
in this, you know, throughout this episode, and that's Dawn, mm-hmm. you know, who is presented as, and maybe realistically, super vulnerable because of how old she is. But the people who are most likely to prey upon young women and girls aren't complete strangers. They're family members, boyfriends, friends, boyfriends, people you've seen around at parties. Yeah. <laughs> so so this bait and switch. On one hand, I really like mixing up the bad guys in this way because it's pleasantly tricky, mm-hmm. albeit you know, probably accidental in the way that it critiques the stranger danger myth. You know, the guy who's going to hurt you isn't the guy you don't know, even if he is rocking a Freddy Krueger hat. The guy who's going to hurt you is the cute boy you kind of know who's friends with your friend's boyfriend who tells you you're cute and special. So, yeah, accurate. Mm hmm. But on the other hand, we're getting this super conservative fear mongering in that the cute boy you kind of know and who turns you on is a literal monster and will kill you. I don't care how wet you got from kissing him. <laughs> like, in fact, in fact, it's probably because you got wet kissing him. And uh-huh. this is textual arousal, by the way. <laughs> I'm not making this up. I love this about this episode early on when janice asks dawn what she thinks of justin and dawn says he's okay Mm -hmm. janice asks ho hum okay or oh my god i think i'm gonna pee my pants okay and dawn just kind of leans in and goes pee and they both giggle and it is adorable and also we're actually kind of sort of covertly talking about female arousal. And it's great. I'm here for it. <laughs> I mean, I I don't think it's that much of a stretch, especially no. in an episode about Dawn growing up. I mean No, I don't I don't think it's much of a stretch either. I just it is distressing because you do have like you do have a sense of of arousal here and then you have the sense of I want to say it's almost playfulness like the way that that Janice you know is with her boyfriend and you know she like kind of owning that that fun playful sexuality and yet what's going to happen to these girls they're going to get killed by vampires so it's it's like in one hand I love seeing it and in the other hand I'm like oh yeah of course because this is what happens when you let yourself get turned on. You know, you you die badly in the woods. So I just, <laughs> it, uh, it's it's yeah. it's it's distressing in that way. Um, and I'm still like, I really need to know what happened to creepy old daddy. Like it just, the story <laughs> thread left unbraided drives me crazy. Um, and I wanted to know. Also, I had high expectations for this show because. We had a not insignificant amount of screen time of him humming Pop Goes the Weasel, right? Yeah. He's got his own lyrics for it. It's Happy Halloween. He's singing it his own way. So I'm looking up the lyrics and then I'm looking up the meaning of the song and then I'm looking up the different adaptations, like where it comes from and what it means. It makes no damn sense. There's no significance of that song whatsoever that fits with this episode. So I just feel really disappointed about (laughs) it. Yeah. It's All a the huge, loose threads. It's a huge bummer. I mean, 
The connection, the only connection that it really has to anything is that it's the Jack in the Box tune. You know, like not just the Jack in the Box that Zach, is it Zach? Yeah, Zach plays with. That and then Dawn looks over and again with the creepy score, where's its head? head. You know, it's like, come <laughs> on, come on. But yeah, Pop Goes the Weasel is it's the Jack in the Box tune and nothing else. Yeah, and nothing else. Like but nothing else. It's, but again, I did... it's supposed to make him creepy. Yeah, and it does. You know, and oh, he it totally is, and then works. It just goes nowhere. But I. And I'm looking at the like Buffy as a series as Dawn is introduced and then kind of grows up. I'm not a huge fan of Dawn at the beginning, but around this part of season six, I start to really like her. And I really enjoyed her in this episode. I thought she was really badass. And I loved her like picking up that stick when she heard a sound in the alley and not being afraid to defend herself. And, you know, I enjoy Dawn a lot more than I expected to. I really, I really adore her. This watch through, she just delights me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I super love her in this episode. I also feel really terrible for her. Me too. Because if the guy hadn't been a no good Nick vampire and she hadn't lied about, <laughs> you know, where she was going to be, this could have been cute. I mean, having your first kiss on Halloween, very cute. Very, very <laughs> cute. So cute. I like her telling Justin I steal all the time. Not that stealing is a great hobby, but I like that it's both a little bit of a flirt, but also the truth. Yeah. And I wondered if Justin was the first person Dawn had confided in about stealing. Yeah. I mean, you know, I would guess so. Yeah. Because she tells him that and she gets a positive response. So, like, I think the the line, you know, we get from him later, oh, you're not like all the other girls, you're special, blah, 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 is not without some merit. Like, I can see how he made her feel special and accepted, you know? Yeah, and he's, I, yeah. Like, he's really on it, too. It bothers me, actually. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, this dude, like... He's the the first time through. You're like, okay, he he seems like a legit good dude. Except now I know he's a vampire. I mean, Halloween pranks aside, like property damage, not cute. No, but well, know, I liked him standing up for Janice. Right when J- Zach was trying to get Janice to go prank the old man's house. Yeah, you know, uh, Justin stepped in. He's like, look, dude, if she doesn't want to, stop. And I was like, okay, good for you. You know, I don't like you kicking in mailboxes and flattening out tires, but I thought that part was was okay. I mean, even with him being a vampire, Don had better taste in boys than I did in the ninth grade. So, (laughs) you know, (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) So, I mean, you know, like, it's, he's... God, the bar, the bar really is in hell. Isn't oh it? yeah, I'm the bar. Here, like, I'm it. sitting here like Justin's not that bad for Dawn, <laughs> <laughs> right? I'm like, so he he breaks things and he he busts stuff up and he, you know, 
commits property damage. He killed an old, an old dude in his kitchen, and I'm still sitting there going, yeah, but I mean, yeah, but I don't know. <laughs> he was getting killed on, but he seems kind of sweet, so okay. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. He's terrible. It's terrible. But I can see, like, I think they did a good job from Don's perspective of giving us some reason that she would like him other than him yes. just being cute. Yes, 100%. 100%. And that, you know, and that's what I'm getting at with the like, he's on it. Like, he seems like a pretty good dude. And you see how Don is like immediately taken with him. Um, yeah. I'm so, I'm just so bummed out for her. Like, she does a lot of things right. When she says to Justin, it's just, um, what do you expect? And my heart yes. just breaks into a million right? pieces. Like, oh, you sweet baby. Yes. But also, hell yes to checking in. Right? Yes. Yes. And and I was so proud of her for, like, trying to have that conversation. And, you know, Justin's line of, like, shush, I just want to taste you. I mean, I'm sorry. Like, it's a hot line. But, like. When someone says, let's have an expectations conversation, you need to have that conversation. But I was really proud of Dawn for like, you know, starting that and like trying to figure out what was going on and where her boundaries were going to be. And then she was so cute. She was like, I'm pretty sure I drooled on you and just tell me how like so vulnerable and honest. And (laughs) yes, it was so great. It was so great. It's so cute to me, too, when she tries to fake experience that she doesn't have. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, yeah, I kiss all the time. Not that I'm a kiss slut. <laughs> you know, and then she, like, bails and comes clean. And it's so, it's just darling. I love her. And hat tip to Michelle Trachenberg for saying kiss slut, which is not a thing a person would say because it's barely possible to say. Yeah, and we shouldn't slut shame for kissing, but but it was cute, like the way that she was, you know, the way that she was that she was using it. It's, um, yeah, it's the it's the I'm telling a lie, and then now I'm nervous that I'm lying, and I'm like giving too much information. Yeah, and it just falls apart. It's so sweet. Yeah, it's it so is, sweet. and and I really feel for her, like. In the parallel of experience here between what she goes through and and what she has seen from Buffy. So, like, I worry about Dawn just on a social development perspective because the people who are closest to her in her life are connected to her through Buffy, right? They're Buffy's primary people. Mm -hmm. And then Dawn has them in her life because she's Buffy's little sister. Like, the only friend we see Dawn have on her own is Janice. Um, and, and so, you know, here she is kind of having this night out to herself and, you know, kind of breaking the rules a little bit. And I mean, she's not doing anything that bad and this ends up being a vampire and she has that moment of like really considering letting him bite her and then she gets shamed by Buffy, you know, and, and for making out with a vampire and I'm like, well, excuse, hold on, I, I think, let me check my notes. <laughs> Pretty sure Buffy has made out with more than one vampire. And and then, but for, for that to have happened, but then Zach to say, oh, your sister's the Slayer. I knew there was something different about you. 
Like that just felt like such a punch in the gut for Dawn. And I just felt so bad for her. Yeah. Yeah. I hate that Buffy tries to shame Dawn for getting her make out on vampire or not. Um, But of course, that's the point of that whole exchange. That it's always different when it's Buffy. Like the rules, like the rules and the expectations are different for Buffy. I love that scene where Buffy and Dawn are talking about what's going on and they both keep telling Justin to shut up because he keeps interjecting (laughs) with a living death. He well actually is Dawn and she just, just shut up. Not part of this conversation. Um, But yeah, like it's, it's such a bummer. I'm so, I'm so bummed for Dawn. Like she doesn't even get her own, like, falling in love with a vampire narrative like it still has to be eclipsed by her big sister yeah and now and this question just dawned on me and i don't know why i didn't think of it before how long has janice been dating zach because she didn't know he was vampire right so that may also be really you know like a loss for her too yeah yeah. And, oh, yeah. Now I feel really bad for both of them. Right? Oh, God. And she's so heartbroken when Giles finds them. And she's she's pissed, but she's also heartbroken. That yeah. jerk bit me. Like, she's mm-hmm. so... Oh, it sucks. It sucks. I feel so bad for both of I these know. girls. I feel so bad. I got the sense that... Janice hadn't been dating Zach that long. Yeah. That it was kind of, you know, maybe a few steps more familiar than I've seen you at a party a couple of times. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, but in teenage years, that's like what a decade. Right. So <laughs> you've known someone for two months. You've been to three parties with them. Oh my God. Yeah. That's worthy of its very own scrapbook. So I do. I feel really bad for both of them. Is this what I missed out? Not missed out on not dating as a teenager. Damn. <laughs> I could have had a scrapbook. <laughs> there are many better things to make scrapbooks for. I mean, speaking of quote unquote the way life's supposed to work out. Mm-hmm. Um. You posed this question to me when we were first talking about recording this episode together. What is the relationship between marriage and siring? Yeah, because when I was watching this, um, so you had these two parallel stories, right? So you're getting Dawn's escapades, but these two vampires are thinking about turning these two girls, Right. right? So basically, like, do we eat them or do we keep them? (laughs) they're having this conversation and then you have xander like finally announcing his engagement to anya and so like i don't think that is an accident right for those two events to happen in the same episode and so i was just really curious like is the show trying to say something about marriage and siring or or not necessarily siring but like giving someone the capacity to have a life as long as yours and choosing to live your life with someone? Like, were they trying to make a connection between those two things? Well, here's the thing. 
(laughs) (laughs) Here's the thing. At first, I didn't really think so. Mm -hmm. I was like, it's kind of, you know, it's mostly a Dawn thing. You know, this, this, I don't know. It's, it's mostly about her kind of going her own way. Um, But then in the very last scene of Dawn and Justin together, after he tackles her, they both say, I do. Yep. Shall we do a little role play? Yeah. Do you want to be Dawn or Justin? Ooh, I'll be Justin. Okay. I thought you really liked me. I do. And you like me too. I do. And then Justin leans over to bite Dawn and she stakes him. (laughs) Oh, damn. I forgot that part because now you have to stake me. And this is it, y'all. My last podcast. (laughs) Goodbye. (laughs) But what I love about this is that after the I do's, the guy disappears. Yep. And that seems to be the anxiety that's creeping into Xander this entire episode. Well, and because Still Pretty is fully spoiled... Right? Yes. So, like, you get this, I do, I do, and then Don has to stake him, you know, stake Justin. Well, we know how this proposal between Xander and Anya is going to end. You know, Xander's mm-hmm. going to stand her up. Like, he is essentially going to disappear mm-hmm. at the altar, um, which yeah. is really shitty. Sh- uh, don't even get me started. But, <laughs> so, like, it seemed to me that the, the you're, and in this very ominous, like, we're not announcing this engagement in a happy episode, right? Yeah. We're, we're announcing this engagement in a very ominous, creepy, nothing is going to end well episode. And so, like, tonally, it, it kind of, they kind of seem connected in my head, but I might have been reading too much into that. That is entirely possible. But no, I mean, I think it's actually... I, I think it's actually really relevant and a really astute observation um, because it starts out, the, the Xander Anya stuff starts out actually kind of sweet in this yeah. episode. Like, I really like the moment when he's watching Anya close out the register and she's very much in her element and he decides that now is the time to yeah. announce their engagement. It feels like this tiny little glimmer of a moment of Xander appreciating Anya for who she is. Mm-hmm. And I also like that we pointedly show Dawn, who we know kind of has a thing for Xander, watching Xander and Anya kiss. And there's a little bit of a, you know, you kind of see all of the emotions go yeah. across her face. And then there's this this last little bit of a treat that I don't know again maybe I'm (laughs) maybe I'm reading too much in but Anya says have some money and tosses her quote-unquote bouquet to Dawn as she kisses Xander and Dawn will be the next one to get a kiss in this episode yes I I love that moment it's so sweet it's very sweet and it's also kind of strange (laughs) it's it it feels to me like the most authentic moment between xander and anya that we've ever seen like because he truly seems to be appreciating her in that second and it doesn't last very long 
um, because Xander is an idiot because Anya <laughs> is amazing. And um, but but you do see like real love for her on his face when he's just watching her. And Dawn is constantly observing all of these people. You know, she's always watching all of these adults. And I think because of her own parents' divorce and just kind of the trauma of her life, she is so in tune with relationships, right? When Buffy and Angel broke up, Dawn took it hard. When Buffy and Riley broke up, Dawn took it really hard. Dawn is more attached to Spike at this point than I think Buffy is. Dawn is highly invested in Willow and Tara. And now Dawn is highly invested in Anya and Xander. And, you know, she tells Anya, oh, you're so lucky to have found a guy like him. So, like, that is her state of mind when she's then going out to this date with this boy who makes her feel special and appreciated and, you know, all of those things. So, like, I think it's set up pretty well to understand where Dawn, you know, why Dawn gets to where she gets. Yeah. No, I think it's great. I think it's great. I mean, it's a huge bummer to see Xander go from appreciating Anya to, I I don't even know. I don't know what to do with him in this episode. <laughs> I mean, especially knowing like where it's going to go. But yeah, it's like he so he appreciates who she is in this mm-hmm. moment at the magic box. But then once the the engagement ring is actually on, and I love, by the way, that that's the one thing that Anya is like, no, I'm not going to share that. <laughs> I know. I know Dawn is like, can I try it on? And Anya is so cute and happy. And she's like, absolutely not. It's so great. <laughs> it's wonderful. But again, like Dawn's curiosity about these adult relationships mm-hmm. and like, how do I, how, how does it feel to be a part of this? Um but anyway, with between uh, Xander and Anya, once the ring is on, the woman who Anya is, mm-hmm. who Xander claims to love, like comes out in full force. And this is the woman who will gleefully kick your ass at the game of life. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, and it's literally what she's doing. She's like, you have to plan. You have to plan for these things. Yeah. It's going to be cars and a house and babies. And Xander just is like, what the fuck? <laughs> like, what? whoa, what is going on? And I'm like, <laughs> and I'm over here like, oh, thank God someone is organized. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but I have a question for you about the, there's a quick little scene between Giles and Xander. Yeah. When Giles brings Xander a drink and he's like, she's a wonderful ex-vengeance demon. You're going to be very happy (laughs) together. And then he starts in on like talking about putting a down payment on a house and like, what are you going to do with the rest of your lives? And it feels a little bit like he's trolling Xander. To hmm. me, and I, I, but I don't know if that's just me. What was your read on Giles and Xander? No, I read that a little differently. Um, I read it as Giles accepting Xander as an adult. So, like, I think, and I can't imagine being in Giles's shoes. Like, he has known these people since they were children in high school, right? And he has seen them through 
high school hijinks. Mm -hmm. And now they're adults. And so, and he does kind of have this father of the group role. And so when Xander announces, hey, we're getting married, I think to Giles, that meant, okay, Xander is now officially grown up. Speak to him as you would appear. And so Mm -hmm. he's asking, you know, are you going to buy a house? Is she going to move in with you? Out of adult curiosity, I think, because that's like a conversation he would have with someone his age. Like, I I saw it more of him bringing Xander into an adult space with him, not poking at him. Like, but, you know. Yeah, I guess. And And maybe I read it as poking because we get Giles's frustration with Xander when earlier when the magic box is so busy and he's talking about, you know, I sent him over to charmed objects and maybe he'll poke the wrong one. (laughs) Which was hilarious. Like, it's funny. I, it's great. Yeah. And and maybe Giles is still being dad and, and asking those questions more out of, hey, man, have you really thought about this? And it's, less yeah. less trolling. Yeah. Maybe know? it's not trolling so much as just like straight up dadding. Like yeah. he's very I mean, much the dad. You know, when your seven-year-old comes to you with their little backpack and they tell you that you're they're running away? And you, you have the very calm response and you say, well, tell me about where you're going to go. And like, what are you going to have for dinner? And you try to give them things to consider before they head out with their little backpack. You know, <laughs> uh, that was, <laughs> I guess that would, I either read it as him kind of gently prodding Xander to think about some things Xander obviously hasn't thought about or yeah. trying to engage him as an adult neither conversation of which Xander is ready for. Yeah. Well, and Xander says to Buffy later, you know, she takes him and she like clearly sees that he's suffering and takes him outside, which is just so (laughs) sweet. But then he's like, I forget, I forget the exact line, but it's like, I just didn't think it would be so much. Yeah. And part of me is like, yeah, same. And then part of me, it's like, well, what did you think it was going to be, though? Like, what did you think you were doing? And it's well, it's I'm, very easy to hate Xander for how this happens, right? And and what he does is shitty. I mean, it's shitty beyond the telling. But Xander doesn't have a strong role model for marriage. True. You know what we've seen of his family life is not great. And I think the moment that he proposed, which, by the way, is why you should never propose marriage after a life-threatening incident, because nobody is thinking rationally. Um, I think what he felt in that moment is, I love you, and I just realized how much I love you, and I'm trying to express that. And the only cultural equivalent I have is, will you marry me? Mm. And then once those words were out, he can't take it back because, you know, Anya is Anya. She is planning house and cars and baby. And she's probably got their first seven years vacations already lined up with coupons. And <laughs> like, that's awesome. But I don't think Xander has a strong sense of how this should go. And he's realizing that more and more. And the happier Anya seems with the engagement, the less he can express his concern. Or, you know, the less he may feel he can express his worry. Mm-hmm. Because it was his idea in the first place. Yeah. You know, so I, I do have some empathy for him, even though I'd really like to punch him in the face for what he does to Anya. 
Um, but you can see the warning signs of this very early, you know. Oh, yeah. Oh, I mean, it can 100% be both, right? Like, oh, we yeah. can have empathy for a character and also want to throttle them, which transitions us nicely. <laughs> yes, it does. Oh, my God. Willow oh, and Willow. Tara. Willow. Willow. Oh, my oh, God. God. Oh. I, okay. I mean, season six, it's about relationships. It is the relationship season. I called it early and I'm sticking with it, which yeah. of course means we have to see a relationship break. I mean, we're going to get a couple, but we're, you know, <clears throat> yeah. oh, this is a big one. Willow and Tara, this is rough. I don't even want to talk about this. Like, I, I know, just hate this. I know. It I hate it. Heart. I hate it. And I hate it not just because I hate it when mommy and mommy fight. It's rough because it's not a good fight. Yeah. By which I mean, I hear the loud flapping of red flags in the breeze. Are you kidding me? Yep. So... And of course, Tara is just so gentle, like bringing this up. Mm-hmm. So gentle. She's clearly, you know, had this like little look with Giles when Willow decorates the living room. And she's like, she's like really tenderly kind of broaching this topic. And Willow just lays into her. Why are you being like this? And she says, this isn't about me. And Willow says, this is so about you. You're always coming down on me for doing magic that couldn't harm a fly. And I feel like you're always is one of those huge red flags. Like yeah. run from the mm-hmm. conversation. That's not going to go anywhere. Productive. Yep. Oh, oh, but the one that the one that stabs me in the gut and I just still am probably not recovered from is when Willow says to Tara, What's your problem? Yeah. Oh, oh, it's bad. It's bad. It's so Kelly, bad. I don't want to talk about it. I know. It. I know. It's so bad. And and what really bothers me about it is like if you line up the terrible things that Willow does, right? On a scale from being an asshat to flaying a dude, <laughs> I am angrier at her for how she treats Tara in this episode than I am when she rips the skin off a guy who had it coming. Like, (laughs) I mean, yeah. Yeah, for real. And it it bothers me because we get this three beat of these three fights, right? Yeah. And every time, and I think they do a good job in three quick scenes of escalating what is becoming an emotionally abusive relationship, which I hate seeing because I love Willow and I want her to be better than this. And Tara deserves better than this, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, But you get this escalation from the first, you know, this defensiveness, you know, why are you being like this? Yeah. Um, What's your problem to, Oh, you've been talking about me behind my back. Don't you know how that makes me feel to, This smart ass, I'm sorry, okay? What do you want me to do? Go back and rewrite time? Oh, because I probably could. <laughs> so you, you get this escalation of um, blaming the person who's bringing you concerns to really becoming, you know, very ugly and abusive with the language. 
And and what bothers me is with that escalation, you get a physical response from Tara. And when you love someone who who stutters, when you love someone who has a physical manifestation of distress and you know it, when they start stuttering, you shut up and pay attention and comfort them. Like it, it, it Tara's distress escalates as Willow's bad behavior here escalates mm-hmm. and Willow completely ignores it. And it just breaks my heart. It's, Oh, it's so awful. It's so awful. I mean, it's, it's great in the way that it is crafted, but yeah. I mean, right down to that faux apology. I'm sorry. Okay. You know, it's like, Ooh, we just know where we know what this is and where it's going. And then when Willow has done the, the spell and Tara says, this is how every day should always end and start and all the stuff in the middle. It strikes me that this is Tara sounding like Willow. Like I could absolutely hear Mm -hmm. Willow saying that line or one like it. Yeah. And so again, we have somebody disappearing in a relationship, Mm. except that she's disappearing because she's her her memory is being fucked with yeah so tara tara is disappearing from herself Mm -hmm. and then oh god and then after tara's last line willow asks her if she's mad and she says about what we hold on willow's smiling face and just oh no (laughs) no no it's so bad because she is so pleased with her manipulation of this person she loves and it is it is seriously distressing and disturbing and it makes me wonder about it, it hmm. so the the magic we're, we're already kind of seeding this like magic as substance abuse mm-hmm. or magic as addiction a mm-hmm. little bit with the you're using too much magic like really you're using it when you could do something in a mundane way, and that's a problem. Um, I wonder if Willow had never started practicing magic, would she have become this person in a different relationship? Like, would she have picked up something else Yeah, and become this person in a different relationship and i mean it's impossible to say right like how would you how would you know the most generous reading i could come to of her treatment of tara is and and i i have to i would have to go back and watch all the rest of the episodes of season six to to see whether this is correct or not and i ain't gonna so i'm just gonna throw out a theory (laughs) with no no citations footnotes or evidence okay Um, but I wondered if in her heart, Willow knows that the magic she used to bring Buffy back from the dead was wrong. Like she knows it was, it was dark. She knows it was wrong magic. And so she's almost overcompensating by owning the awesomeness of what she's done and, and leaning more into the magic and pushing the defensiveness and, and the ugliness against the people who love her most Mm-hmm. Because she knows she's wrong and she's waiting for them to see in her what she now sees in her. 
Um, mm. And so mm-hmm. I'm really curious because I, I love how this episode sets up Once More with Feeling. Like I now have an even deeper appreciation for Once More with Feeling and it's one of my all-time favorite Buffy episodes. Um, I, I'm curious if, I know Willow does one more spell after promising not to because that's how we get Tabula, Tabula Rasa, but I'm curious if her treatment of Tara and the way she speaks to her and the way that she treats her changes once she finds out that she did in fact pull Buffy from heaven. Yeah. I mean, I, off the top of my head, I do not remember. Yeah. At all. Um, but that's definitely something to watch for. Yeah. I think you're exactly right too. I mean, I think, I think your generous read is a correct reading. I think Willow knows I think Willow absolutely knows that what she did was, you know, as Giles tells her in no uncertain terms, like a terrible idea. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, like it, it's one of those things where I can be, I have a lot of empathy for wanting to lean into the thing you can do that's great. Oh, Yeah. Like I have, a, especially, especially when you are truly remarkable at something, wanting to lean as far into the positive of that and and spin it all as positives rather mm-hmm. than acknowledge, you know, any sort of negative yeah. <laughs> repercussions from this thing that is a huge part of what you what you're doing to build yourself up. Mm-hmm. You know, we do get that little, we get a little throwaway line from Willow about, you know, how she was not somebody, she was not a 15 year old who would have been out at the bronze, you know, having fun on Halloween. And there's clearly still some insecurity about that. Yeah. That she was, you know, <laughs> in her, in her estimation, mm-hmm. not cool. And now she is cool because of this power that she has. But, oh, God, it's it's awful. It's awful yeah, it's to so see awful. it. It's so awful to see it. Although I do love that her geek infested roots turns Tara on. Like, I just <laughs> I love Tara so much. I can't even. But I, I think I mean, you know, part of being human, right, is dealing with your insecurity and your desire and your desire to be loved and accepted and self-actualization and all that crap which is hard and messy (laughs) and we all suck at it oh yeah (laughs) which is why one of my absolute favorite things on this show is spike because he's over it and that makes him awesome (laughs) oh my god oh my god speaking of wonderful starting to lie and then realize that there's no way oh my god (laughs) i was gonna pay for it no, I wasn't. <laughs> Not at all. No, I was going to nick it. I was going to nick it. This is what I do. I love this this interlude with Buffy and Spike in the basement at the magic shop. It is so great. You know what I just realized like this minute because we what? were just talking about Xander and Anya? Uh-huh. He proposed to her in that basement. Oh, yes, he did. And now we have now we have these two lovebirds. <laughs> these two lovely lovebirds. Oh my word! What do I I'm like? What do I even do? What do I even do? 
with Spike and his his like sexy we should patrol proposition. I love okay. Now, Spike is the sexiest of sexy vampires. I mean, it's just well, Spike and Drusilla and Darla, but whatever. He's he's amazing, you know. But he is also so great when he's just funny or he's just himself. You know, I love that he knows how many mandrake roots go to a jar. Oh, like, totally. <laughs> totally. It's so great. Yeah, and he knows he knows where all the stuff is in the basement. Yeah. yeah. Um, I love, I mean, we get my absolute favorite thing, which is Spike and food, right? Mm-hmm. He puts the berber weed and the blood to make it hot and spicy because of course he does. <laughs> Of course he does. Of course he does. And I smiled when he said that because I was like, oh, I know I love Spike and food. I do. Um, I do. I love Spike and food so much. And I love that when, you know, he he asked Buffy if she wants to patrol and she's like, no, not tonight. And he's like, that's all right. I have plans. The Great Pumpkin's on in 20. And I'm like, I love Spike with the TV schedule. TV is his other thing. Those are his two things. Food and TV. Yeah. Food and TV. this also did play in nicely to a conversation you and I have been having about whether all vampires are cats or dogs. Yes. Well, and I don't remember. Okay. I don't remember which one of us boldly declared that all vampires are either cats or dogs. I think, I think that did. was probably me. Yeah. It sounds like you. Um, And what's hilarious here is that when Spike startles Buffy, she says, Belle, neck, look into it. And then, of course, you know, Spike with the ever ready with a flirt come with a nice leather collar, does it? Um, (laughs) But this is this is incorrect because Mm -hmm. Spike is a dog. Spike is all dog. Spike is all dog. Yes. Spike is all dog. He's he's loyal and he's playful and he wants to be a very, very good boy. (laughs) <laughs> he, yeah he really does like he, he just really wants he just wants to be patted on the head and told he's a very very good bad boy like that's uh-huh. his whole energy exactly. and he wants <gasps> snacks yeah you know, spike is an absolute dog yeah um so then we had to look at the other vampires right from the show yes uh so angel cat cat fully 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 cat. broody Broody indoor cat. <laughs> Broody, moody, likes to hang out by the fireplace. <laughs> we all know this cat. <laughs> <laughs> Glares at people for walking through his line of sunlight. Yes. yes. Yeah. Okay. So, Drusilla? Drusilla, I think you determined was a cat. I think so. I think she's the kind of cat who will allow you to pet her and then kill you when you go one second <laughs> over your allotted time. I will. I will complete. I love you, but I will completely bite and scratch you. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. You know, or like you give her the, the like the cat toys and then she destroys them and then she's very sad and she's like, why is this mouse now in tiny pieces? I was mm-hmm. playing with that. Mm-hmm. Cat. Yep. I yep. think she's cat. Drew is a cat. I was going to say Darla was a dog, but I think we disagree on this. Yeah. So I was thinking about this. I think at first 
when Darla is with the master, Darla is trying to be a dog. She's trying to be part of a family. She's trying to be loyal. And then she realizes she's a cat. She fully embraces her catness and she kills literally everyone. When she's, oh my God, is she a dog vampire who gets brought back as a cat vampire? Oh, interesting. No one can say. There's no no way to know. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, for anyone listening to the show and wondering about the off-air conversations that happen about Buffy the Vampire Slayer, they sound like this. This is what we do. (laughs) This is what we do. And then we decide that, like, the master is also a dog, but, like, a weird dog. Like, the weird weird little dog who, like, tells all the other dogs what to do. Yeah. A tiny, wrinkly, yippery dog. (laughs) That just wants everybody to come home. Yeah. Yeah. Dog. Yeah. And Harmony's a dog. Oh, Harmony is all dog. Harmony is a dog. Terrier full of energy. Harmony's a dog. <laughs> Either that or just like an all-American mutt. <laughs> She's just... No, Harmony's a little dog that lives in somebody's purse. Oh, my God. <laughs> Oh, my God. No. (laughs) I am so going to bite you. I am so going to bite you. Yes. Oh, my God. So after that, completely completely out of the episode and into our own, like, (laughs) Buffy the Vampire Slayer furry convention. (laughs) (laughs) Well, okay, that will sort of kind of bring us back to our last topic for discussion, which is costumes. Oh, yeah. It's a Halloween episode. We have to talk about costumes. Yes. We have to talk about costumes. So you pointed out that some people, (laughs) some people wear costumes and some people do not. And what's up with that? (laughs) What's up with that? I was very curious. So we have Anya, who is, by the way, the cutest damn Charlie's angel that has ever lived. Fighting crime with perfect hair on roller skates. She is so adorable. And Xander the pirate, you know, he's very cute. Giles very reluctantly wearing his wizard robe, which I am convinced Anya pulled over his head when she got to the (laughs) store. And she dressed Xander before she let him leave the house, you know. But Buffy and Willow and Tara are not wearing costumes. And then Dawn is proclaiming her disdain of costumes as being childish while wearing a Hello Kitty t-shirt, which was a touch I greatly loved and appreciated. I love that so much. Yeah, I love, I don't know if this is an example of gratuitous use of special skills. I don't know if Emma Caulfield roller skates, um, and that was what inspired the costume, but it's perfect. Yeah, it's it really perfect. is. And her, comp- her, her not- total understanding of charlie's angels yes (laughs) it's it's great especially because you know she was a demon now she's an angel it's very cute it's very cute it's very cute cute. giles i feel like giles is wearing like full sorcerer well almost full sorcerer's regalia when he hands willow a broom and reminds her you know what happened to mickey mouse when he tried to do a self-cleaning spell in the sorcerer's apprentice i appreciate that detail um Mm -hmm. i fully accept the idea that 
Anya just announced to him that he would be wearing a costume for Halloween. (laughs) And he would have no choice in the matter. Um, I also have headcanoned that that is the costume that he was going to wear, that we see him in briefly for the opening of the magic box. Mm -hmm. And then he chooses not to wear it. (gasps) I just have this, I have this idea that he had it squirreled away somewhere and he's worn it. (laughs) Xander... In his pirate costume, it's a very childish pirate costume. It's clearly yeah. one of those, like, polyester comes in a bag, you mm-hmm. know. <laughs> Even though, the like, the little kid, like, calls him out as, like, you're not a real pirate. And Xander just fully stays in character. Yeah. Which is very Xander. And also maybe a little bit foreshadowy. Of Xander not wanting to shift out of a more childish space and into this adult. Oh, so it's the closest they could dress him as Peter Pan without dressing him as Peter Pan. Oh, shit. No, I wasn't even going there, but that's even better. Uh Uh-huh. No, I was just, because he's so goofy. Like, he's so ridiculous. But he's loving it. Like, he's. Yeah. He's in his element being this, like, goofy pirate character and poking people with his plastic hook. I also love that he has both a hook and an eye patch. Like, mm. you well, know that I'm all up in the in my film studies about, you know, the the horrendous tropes about bodily integrity and, like, what that means for a person's ability to function in their appropriate roles in society and blah 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 you know well it's (laughs) it's particularly it's really heartbreaking in xander's case though to know he is going to end up in an eye patch for real like he is going to lose you know that eye um it it is a little i don't know if they did that on purpose or if it just happened to work out that way in the show but and and maybe this is the last moment we see Xander in like where he still has some of that childish joy because things don't go really well from for him from now to the end of the, yeah, the from series. Yeah, on out. Yeah. Things are not he's not having a good time. No, he's not. That's another that would be another thing. That's another great thing to watch for is like how much fun <laughs> does Xander have from this episode on i'm gonna guess it's not a lot well i mean he brings on in once more with feeling right he is the reason Mm -hmm. for that musical disaster even though i mean i kind of love it because he says i thought it would be fun yeah singing and dancing you know i didn't know it was gonna end like this so you see him like looking for that kind of light-hearted joy i don't think there's much left for him from now to the end of the show. Oh, buddy. I know. I am surprisingly full of empathy for Xander. What is wrong with us? I don't know. <laughs> I don't. It's Halloween. It's backwards pants day. I forgot my costume. I don't know, man. I don't know. Um, well, I think it's easy to forget how young these people are. When you're, oh. you know, you're watching this and, and we're we're holding them up to the expectations of adult relationships and adult decisions. These are very young adults and they save the world on a regular basis. So it's easy to forget how young they really are. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I do, but yeah, the, the eye patch with him being so playful and cheerful just kind of broke my heart a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. So then we have our non-costumed Scoobies. Mm-hmm. We've talked about Dawn already, which is just so delightful. So <laughs> um, I'm not sure that lack of costume is as meaningful as costume. <laughs> um, yeah. But Willow, Willow is, hmm, God, Willow, I have such a hard time talking about her. <laughs> I know, I know. Willow going off on a customer in a witch costume is pretty great. Mm-hmm. Like, it's a stereotypical, scary, evil witch costume. And it gives us insight into Willow's inflated sense of her own importance. Yeah. Right? Because. Yeah. She is criticizing the depiction of witches as being all hairy moles and rotten teeth. And I'm reminded of Glinda in The Wizard of Oz saying only bad witches are ugly. Yeah. So I don't know. I feel like this might tie in with Willow's assertion from a few episodes ago. You know, magic users who bring people back from the dead are bad guys, but I'm not a bad guy. Mm Mm-hmm. And then, oh my God. And then when the little witchy poo shows oh, up, excuse me, do you have any candy, candy corn? corn? Oh, oh my God. God. So cute. I, but as soon as this adorable little cherub shows up, Willow is willing to make an exception to her rule about stereotypical depictions of witches. Mm-hmm. So the only acceptable choice is Willow's choice. Yeah. In Willow's worldview. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's a lot to bring to a discussion of witch costumes, but it really, like, she hard pivots on that little candy corn loving imp. I mean, and how could you not? Like, how, I would on. give that child every piece of candy that has ever been made. <laughs> All of it. But even Dawn <laughs> is standing there like, uh, didn't you just say? Yeah. So, I don't know. There's meaning. There's, there is meaning to be pulled from every detail if you want to. There really is. Yeah. I, I got a lot more out of this episode than I expected to. Um, and I am going to now go watch once more with feeling and tabula rasa because it'll be fun to watch them while this is all fresh in my mind and oh, then yeah. listen to you and lonnie uh podcast about them so what is your girl power moment of the week oh not with a girl pal bit you know i haven't done a girl power moment in a while and i think this is a perfect episode to bring it back because mm-hmm. i feel like a lot of dawn yeah. is just girl power Although, (laughs) feminist icon Rupert Giles with, (laughs) you know, pretty sure she wasn't asking for it, bruh. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Have you got a girl power moment? Um, Yeah, I would have given it to Dawn for grabbing the big stick in the alley. Um, but, But I think it goes to Dawn for stabbing Justin right after 
her first kiss. Like you get your first kiss and then you got to stake a dude. And it's like, that's hard. You know? Oh, that's really hard. It's like a little mini Buffy stabbing angel. Yes. Oh, God. I'm so glad they didn't play. What's the song? Close Close your eyes. eyes. Don't close your eyes. Oh, my God. I would have died. I would have died. But But it is kind of a mini echo. Like, maybe not on the same scale. No, as Buffy's, but but not not dissimilar. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. Uh, and it was a choice that Dawn made, and she made it, and she staked him herself. And yeah, I think I think some like we need to have a conversation about what what where you go when you say you're going somewhere, and and uh-huh. what you, you know do. I mean, parenting a teenager is hard, y'all. But I would give her girl power moment of the week for that. Nice. Nice. So, <laughs> so what is your favorite part? Oh, Spike. <laughs> Every second of Spike we got in this episode was wonderful. And I adore him. And he is his full spiky spikiness. And I love it. <laughs> what about you? What is your favorite part? My favorite part is itty baby Amber Tamblin as Janice. Oh, Janice. Janice is great. Mm-hmm. Janice has no interest in pulling pranks on Halloween. She wants to be making out in the woods. And yeah. I am with her on that. Oh, yeah. Me too. And I think Janice is interesting to me because she could easily have been the bad girl who's a bad influence on Dawn, the de facto good girl. Mm-hmm. But she's not that tropey. Yeah. Amber Tamblyn plays her with a swagger that is definitely part young teenage affectation, but also part genuine self-discovery. Yeah. And while the story of a teenage girl who's intent on doing sex-adjacent things with boys is not one I love seeing come out of a writer's room comprising mostly men, Janice works for me, and I think Amber Tamblyn is the reason she works. There's more nuance in the performance Mm -hmm. than there probably was on the page. And I just love her. Yeah. Yeah, I did. I thought she was great. I thought she was great. Well, this was fun. I'm glad we got to record about Halloween close to Halloween. I know. It's always great when that works out. (laughs) So if you enjoyed this conversation and would like to join in, connect with the show on Twitter, follow at Chipperish and use the hashtag Still Pretty. This episode of Still Pretty was brought to you by the Chipperish media producers who support us on Patreon at the power producer level. These people are the reason why Still Pretty is coming to you free and ad free right now. So thank you to our October producers, Shelly, Kristen, Jonathan, Jonathan, Rose, Erica, Alice, Abigail and Sarah. And this week's special message for our power producers. Is that why you're always cleaning your glasses? So you don't have to see what we're doing? (laughs) Tell no one. (laughs) To find out how you too can support Chipperish Media, visit patreon.com slash chipperish. Other ways to show your support. Write a great review on Apple Podcasts, tell your friends about the show, or skate around with perfect hair fighting crime. We will be back next time with Once More with Feeling, the seventh episode of season six. Woohoo! Until then, hey, didn't anyone come here to just make out? <laughs> <laughs>